you can buy a giant hammer in Animal Crossing and like bonk neighbors on the head with it. It's can like you? a a foam hammer, yeah. And then if you bonk them enough, they move out of your village. Oh yeah, so that's how you get them to yeah. move out. That's how I've been doing it. Or I'll go around and I'll hit them with my butterfly net until they get mad at me and move out. That's fair. Clunk clunk. Um. I feel like I never got that far in Animal Crossing. <laughs> you didn't develop this just extreme disgust for like one random villager who looks like a sheep or something. <laughs> Fizz. Buzz. Fizz Buzz. Hi, I'm Stacy. And I'm Mo. And this is your favorite tech comedy podcast. Fizz, Fizz Buzz Podcast. Fizz Buzz. So thank you. Podcast listener you're welcome for tuning in oh wait i'm not the listener <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you and you're welcome on behalf of the listener because this is Fizz Buzz Buzz podcast. podcast sorry i just really wanted to say it again it's a good i like how we say it kind of stupid each time like it's slightly different slightly off key feels boys wood keyst <laughs> I was like, what is she saying? Buzz podcast. <laughs> Very good podcast. This Fizz Buzz. I was trying to get my French accent. Oui. You know, Fizz Buzz ah, podcast. Oui. The Fizz Buzz uh, podcast uh, is so uh, good. It reminds me of a croissant. Croissant? Pain au chocolat? Un pain raisin. Et. Je mange en baguette. Mm, give me that baguette. And some brie. <laughs> give me some brie. The French have it figured out. You know, they have four-day work weeks. <laughs> they eat nothing but croissants and brie. That's it. What is the rest of us doing? I don't know. We should all just move to France. They'd love that. They would. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, they love that. Um, but... Anyway, what's your favorite thing about Ireland, Momo? Moi, my favorite thing about our lovely little island. Well, there was a few bits, you know, that uh, we were talking about this earlier today. And I was like, what is my favorite thing besides everything? Mm. That's not the right answer. Um, but we've, we've settled on, I love 99s. What's a 99, Mo? A 99 is, it's not money. <laughs> Um, and it's not red balloons. (laughs) It is ice cream. And, uh... But what kind of ice cream? What kind of ice cream? It's basically vanilla soft serve ice cream in a cone, usually. And then they would put a Cadbury chocolate flake in on the top of it. And a chocolate flake is basically... Cadbury chocolate that's in like a stick form. It kind of looks like bark a little bit. Yeah. And it's really good. And then when you bite into it, it kind of like crumbles up into your mouth and melts. And, you know, Cadbury is lovely. So that's a 99. And then, you know, if you're going really fancy, you could put some like chocolate on top of it or some sprinkles or caramel I've seen. But like if you're going real like basic bitch. 99 it's just plain vanilla with a flake on top and where would you buy a 99 i mean 
basically anywhere. Like you go into a Centra and they sell 99s these days. But like it's really nice if you're going on like a beach day or like a walk in the park, something on a sunny day, you get a 99. But I mean, even the Irish people, I think per capita, people still eat a lot of ice cream in the winter here. Yeah, I mean, the winters are kind of mild, but like... They are, yeah. They still stick it out. (laughs) They do. And they still eat their 99, so... I love it. And then I have this like ongoing joke that no one gets. It actually confuses people because I, okay. So in the States, if something's free, like let's say there's a giveaway, I'd be like, oh, look, this is free 99. Mm. And then, you know, to me, that's like, it's free. It's yeah. never funny if you have to explain the joke, Zero by the dollars, way. Yeah. Yeah. For the Zero dollars. Nice cost of free 99. Exactly. So if something was free in Ireland, I'd do the same thing. And then they'd be like, what? Free 99s? Yeah. Thinking of the ice cream. <laughs> oh, no. And it gets me every, it gets everybody every time. Because I'm like, first of all, you didn't pick up what I was put down. <laughs> yeah, first of all, this is a joke. Second of all, that's so funny how 99s are so ingrained in the culture that it's on the top of their head, like, at a given scenario. Yeah, and they're like, free? 99s? So, anyways, that's something that I love about that's Ireland. Great. 99s are amazing. And, like, from my experience, it's usually, like, gas stations always have really good ones some reason, like, for some reason, which is, like, a gas station. Yeah, they yeah. have those, uh, like, just those really nice machines. They're probably new and they're, like, best soft serve. Yeah. And then I think um, on the pier, the Dunleary Pier, there's a uh, 99 place called Teddy's. Teddy's is it. Yeah, yeah, Teddy's is, like, I think the iconic one. So they do very nice ones. I've had theirs. Me too. I love Teddy's. But, yeah, I love all, all 99s. Just give me a 99. To be honest, even before, like, I was never a soft serve fanatic, Hmm. but because there's such a hype about it here, it's like, it's just nicer because everybody loves the 99s. They love like the experience of it. And, you know, it's just like, even you talk to Irish people and they're like, I remember when I was a kid and I had a 99 every day on my summer holiday. Yeah. Or like, even like today, it's like, oh, it's a beautiful day for a 99. (laughs) Exactly. That's why the the boyfriends are out getting 99s now. Yeah. You might hear them laughing in the background about their 99s, but um, yeah, they're, we sent them on a mission. (laughs) Lucky bitches. I know. Maybe they'll bring us 99s. They won't. Oh. Maybe they will, but they won't. (laughs) I don't think so. It'll melt by the time they get there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, what is your favorite thing? about Ireland yes so I had to think about this and one of my I've talked about this before in the podcast being that I love how Ireland has a really strong culture of storytelling and like myths and like just a very artistic expression all the time and one of my favorite things is Irish music and you're like what like fiddles and pub stuff no slap slap um (laughs) well that too that too yeah like i go mad for a good fiddle but like also like they have cool modern music and stuff and like i know we know all the bands like Sinead o'connor and u2 and everything like that but like the youth also creates really good stuff so like obviously you know you probably already know hosier and if you're hosier well 
welcome to the world from underneath your rock because he's an Irish artist. <laughs> um, we are obsessed. With. I am obsessed with Hosier. I think he's so talented and I think he just writes beautiful love letters and then sings about them. And I'm like, oh, so my heart, you know. But um, in addition to him, I would recommend a couple bands. So you also could listen to one of my favorite things about Ireland, which is their indie artists. Um, so one that I really liked, I found out her, about her before the pandemic. And um, so she was kind of like a weird soundtrack during the pandemic for me. But <laughs> um, her name is Orla Gartland. And she does really cool um, harmonies. And it's very indie, um, poppy folky like she's got a lot of cool like vibes there and also really strong lyrically which I think is a um very poetic yeah very poetic it's very Irish music is very poetic and so um so she would be one and then another one would be Soda Blonde which is more rock and roll but kind of like ethereal I don't know like it reminds me of others like she like the lead singer is a belter and she just hits notes and it's like power anthem after power anthem and really interesting lyrically really nice musically um yeah so that would be my thing is like the irish indie music of today the modern stuff i love it i love it and i love a good belter Mm. you know yeah you're a good belter you've got the pipes like I don't know, not compared to Soda Blonde. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that's her job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you you know, you get me into a karaoke booth and I'll belt for you. But nothing beyond that. (laughs) I know. But yeah, so so dear listener, please go check out, if you haven't, Hosier or the Gartland or Soda Blonde. Because they're all Irish musicians and they're all great. Shout out to Hosier. And... Orla Gartland. Just my girl, Orla. And the amazing rock band, Soda Blonde. Best band in dub. Uh, What is it? The Boys in Blue. The Boys are back in town. Tin Lizzy. That's also an Irish band. Tin Lizzy, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Nice. See, the more you know. The more you know. Irish music is everywhere. It's true. There's Irish music, like, all over the place. Yeah. And There's... you don't realize people are Irish because everyone sings in American accents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, they're from Ireland? Oh, my God. My grandma's Irish. Yeah, which makes me Irish, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get so many, like, oh, yeah, my great-great-great-uncle is Irish, so therefore yeah. I'm Irish, too. My great-great-uncle's roommate's dog's boyfriend's cousin. Is Irish. Moved to Ireland once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that means Guinness is my birthright. Mm-hmm. That's me. <laughs> but yeah, so those are two great things about Ireland. Yeah. And then what are we talking about today, Stace? Oh, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is called pragmatic programming. Ooh, pragmatic programming. Yeah. So this topic came to me in a fugue dream, which means I'm reading this book called The Pragmatic Programmer, <laughs> but it talks about a lot of, um, I guess for me, like healthy habits to have as an engineer. 
And so I just thought we could maybe talk about a few of our favorite pragmatic programming topics. I agree. Yeah, because I feel like uh, being pragmatic, pragmatism, pragmatic, pragmatism, I guess, and like those good habits, those are really different from person to person Mm -hmm. and team to team Mm -hmm. and company to company. So like these are tips, I think, that were passed down to us from our mentors and some of the books we read and uh, articles we've read. And like it's not gospel. But they, they've they helped us along the way. They make our developer experience much better and our, our code better. Um, and then there's lots of other things as well, probably, that, you know, support these things that maybe we won't even talk about. But I think we have a few really good tips on on what it's like to be a pragmatic person and a pragmatic mm-hmm. engineer. So what does that mean? What does Pragmatic. that mean? Well, <laughs> I've looked it up. I've looked. Did you look it up too, Stacey? I did look it up too. <laughs> so we're both going to be reading. <laughs> oh, let's see if we have the exact definition brought up. Because okay. I have it brought up on my laptop here. Okay, okay perfect. One, two, three. Adjective. sensibly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dealing with things sensibly and realistically in a way that is based on practical rather than theoretical considerations. That worked. We, we literally had the same one. Okay. So, okay. So we want something pragmatic, being pragmatic. Is being sensible and sensible. realistic. And, and practical. So like having validations, realistic validations for why we do things versus like, oh, well, someone said so once a long, long time ago. And therefore. Mm, yeah, no, this is a tried and true method. Like, yeah. So like if you do X, you'll always get out Y. That kind of thing. Or maybe not always, but like... But more than likely. More than likely. Or this will help you get out why. Stuff like that. So, like, for instance, I was chatting about it. I I feel like being pragmatic would, would be washing the dishes uh, right after dinner or before bed. That way, the next morning, I don't have 30 dishes and I don't have to worry about it and I can start off fresh. To me, that feels like pragmatic householding Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's the same in programming these things that we do yes we do them for a reason because it makes our lives nicer exactly so 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 would you like to go first (laughs) yeah um we've come up with I think themes or topics Mm. that uh we each chose two and um, I'm worried. I think we're passionate about all of them, but I, I think we'll bring our own perspectives on them. I don't even need to explain this. You know, that's why you're listening to <laughs> <Yeah>. this podcast. <laughs> Buckle up. We're getting in. <laughs> okay. So first and foremost, I believe that it's really important and pragmatic to test your code. And that's really vague. Don't you think that's kind of vague? Yeah. 
It's also kind of like, well, duh. It's really hard to test your code sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's easy to forget to write tests and stuff. And it, then it's extra effort. and Exactly. So it's like, I guess having the knowledge of all the different types of testing, how to test, how you can make it easier to test. So um, like the first thing I kind of have is like, why do we test? Well, we test because we want to ensure what we're coding is reliable and it works the way we expect. So we have that confidence in ourselves, in our code, that it's not going to break something. It's not going to break something for our clients or for ourselves. That's why we test. Kind of, kind of basic engineering of any sorts. If we're going to send a rocket to the moon, we want to test it first. <laughs> you know what you I mean? You don't want to just launch it into space and see what happens? I mean, that's you how could. I would test. That is a form of testing. <laughs> it is a form of testing. What kind of testing would that be called, Stays? Brute force. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's brute force testing. Just ship your just rocket up. Launch it right into space, see what happens. You might be amazed. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's a practice called um, TDD. Do you know what that stands for? I do. Um, test-driven development. Test-driven development. So, I'm not going to talk to you about test-driven development at all on this podcast. <laughs> we just brought it up because? Because it's a thing that people talk about a lot. Uh-huh. And I think that test-driven development is good. So what is test-driven development? It basically means you write your tests first, and then you code. Uh... Which I think is good in a lot of ways. You know, you kind of have a set of uh, test cases or use cases and then you build off of that but sometimes I just think it doesn't happen I, I think people just don't do it for one reason or another yeah so I think the everyone always wants to just dive into the project and they don't think about testing exactly so I think that you know as a challenge maybe ourselves and engineers and people who are listening can think about okay well what would we need to do to to have test-driven development but that's I feel like that's like a theoretical change and not even theory it's a change in process yeah so but that could be good too because I you know (laughs) clearly since I'm coming from the side of the argument of I just launched my rocket into space but um (laughs) You know, if you had to actually sit down and write the test first, you would have to think out all the components that you need for it in order for the test to pass. You know? Exactly. And then it might be easier then afterwards to to write the code. Write the code, yeah. I do think I like working with junior engineers uh, and myself when I was a junior engineer, breaking down problems into smaller pieces. So even TDD might be able to help with that because you're like, okay, these are the the test cases that have to pass. So these are the different things that I have to implement in my code. So another benefit of of test-driven development, and I think that it's something every engineer strives for. That's why I brought it up first, but it's, it's not something that I'd say I'm good at. It's not something that I do all the time. But it's something that I think I always strive to, to be. Maybe one day. I'll, I'll yeah. be. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll write the tests first. Yeah. But today, 
is not the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. I'll log tomorrow. On just write tomorrow. Don't write him tests, you know. I'll write tests tomorrow. tomorrow. It's only a day away. <laughs> so testing at the end of the day is pragmatic because it's sensible to want to make sure what you've written works before you unleash it into the world. Exactly. And using the different test practices will help you have that confidence that it works by testing specific functions, by testing happy paths, by testing very uh, specific behavior in maybe components and that kind of thing. So, and those are just like three very basic ones. There's a plethora of tests out there that we can use and I'm not going to get into them. I made a list, <laughs> but I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about them because I want you, this is a challenge for you, dear listener, to, to go learn about different types of tests and maybe try to implement them. Which one works best for you? Exactly. And because I think as well, knowing the kind of test to write is, is pragmatic as well and, and, and learning that and do you like our sound because support for fizzbuzz podcast is provided by cloud microphones from tucson arizona cloud microphones is a maker of boutique ribbon microphones and the cloud lifter line of mic activators cloud lifters are used around the world for recording broadcasting and other live sound applications for more information or to hear cloud products in action, check out cloudmicrophones.com. I think I think that's that's it for me in the testing. That's it for testing. Tests. Amazing. For testing. Well, that easily transitions into my first topic, which is debugging. Ooh. Ooh. So, um, in software, we encounter things called bugs. I found out that they weren't always called bugs as well, that they were called bogeys or like bogeymans or something. Oh. Yeah, boogeymans. Um, the boogeyman? Yeah, the boogeyman is in your code. <laughs> um, but um, they became bugs because... When um, Rear Admiral Dr. Grace Hopper invented the COBOL computer, she witnessed one of the first quote-unquote bugs, which was a literal moth caught in a relay in one of the big early computers. And um, the moth obviously goofed everything up a little bit. <laughs> so... Um, that kind of and she's like ah oh, there's a bug in the system like because there's literally bugs a in the bug system in the like system. we've we've heard the story a million times i'm sure but um you know they're the blips we still call them bugs and they haunt every developer every single day so it's not the boogeyman it's the mothman it's the mothman it's literally mothman <laughs> mothman is the reason for all the problems in your code i'm sorry to break it to you now Get your tinfoil hat on. We're going in a deep dive. <laughs> um, but honestly, I think it just goes to prove that moths are the worst creature. They're the creature God forgot, evolution forgot, 
they just flap around uselessly and put bugs in the system. But anyway, I won't get into my distaste on moths. <laughs> but um, I think bugs happen because no one writes perfect software. And if you do write perfect software, please email us at fizzbuzzpodcast.gmail.com because I just want to talk. I just want to talk to you real quick. <laughs> um, Maybe give you a little like slap on the back of the head. Yeah, because I'm really jealous if you do. But um, how do you fix bugs, right? So you do something called debugging. Clever little play on the bug there, right? Um, and debugging is weird because it's really sensitive and emotional instead of like when bugs happen you don't approach it all cool like ah yes this is an opportunity to learn about computers and my software and make it better and but no it doesn't turn out like that there's always finger pointing like oh you know Bob made this bug with his change or you know there's apathy like oh not another freaking bug in my code or you know there's anger there's confusion like you enter this weird state of being where you don't really know what's going on but you're angry um and like look like we've all made bugs like we've all seen bugs we find other people's bugs other people find our bugs bugs are everywhere there's an infestation of bugs in code right so um, I think when bugs happen, it's more pragmatic to just don't waste your energy on blame or feeling sad and to instead just grab what I call the puzzle solving mindset. Da, 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 da. Um, because at the end of the day, a bug is a puzzle, right? Um, and like you don't... You don't need to be mad at a puzzle. Like, <laughs> turn off all your defenses you, that your ego is putting up for you because, like, this bug is not about you or how well you code or how well other people code. Um, like, you wouldn't be mad if you found a puzzle on the ground. You'd be like, cool, puzzle. Like, bugs are literally the same thing. You can say, cool, a bug. Don't panic. Puzzles aren't scary. And, like... Just, I love Sudoku. Right? And you just have to sort through the pieces... And fit them together, and you get the bigger picture, and it's all okay. It's all cool. It's all chill. Calm down. Um, so when it comes to debugging, once you've gotten over that first <laughs> hurdle of emotion, um, you want to start by like maybe interviewing the person who found the bug. What were they doing with your software when it became exposed? Um, and just because your tests are passing, because like obviously this code wouldn't be in production if your tests were failing. Um, but I wrote a test about the bug. And it's passing. And it's passing. Like, I knew the bug existed. <laughs> <laughs> and you wrote it specifically so the bug would get into production. Um, On purpose. Dun, dun. Um, that's not pragmatic, just FYI. No, that's betrayal. Um, but... Yeah, so just because the test is passing doesn't mean it's a good test. Um, so you might need to take another look at how you've written your test as well. And if you get your tests failing correctly, that's one of the first steps in figuring out how to fix the bug and correct any issues in your code. And also recreating the bug in production or development environments is also a really good place to start because like, once you are able to trigger it yourself, you can check logs that you might have in the background or, you know, see stuff in the console that wasn't, you know, brought up when the first bug was exposed. Um, 
And then lastly, read the error message. Oh my God. That's the best <laughs> advice I think anyone's ever given me. Literally, because personally, when I encounter a bug and that error message pops up on the screen, I become like error message blind and I cannot see it. I cannot read it. I don't know what it says. If you gave me a million dollars, I still won't know what it says. You know, like it's just, I just can't see the message, even though it's right in front of me. I'll just flip back to the code and start like clicking more buttons. But like over time, I've been training myself to like, when I see the error message, to read it. Like sit down, stop what you're doing, read it, slow down. Um, and then usually after reading it, it's like, oh, right, of course, I forgot to, you know, alphabetize my CSS properties <laughs> or something like that, you know. Um, but you, usually you can fix whatever is breaking relatively quickly once you know what's going on. So, <laughs> And sometimes the the error will even take you to the line of code that's broken. Yeah, exactly. As well. And that's another like thing where it's like, oh, if you just clicked on this, it would take you. If you read the error message, you clicked on it, then you'd be like, oh, I see the problem now because I forgot this one thing or, you know, yeah, the exactly. alphabetical thing, as you said. Yeah, you forget about one bit of it. And then also, sorry, this is maybe the last thing, rubber duck with somebody. Like sometimes I'll just start typing out messages like, Mo, if you ever see me typing a message to you, sometimes I'm just like faux rubber ducking with you. <laughs> What would Mo say? Doesn't yeah, matter. Doesn't matter. Because like sometimes I just feel the need to type out what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, and then before I even send the message, I'm like, oh, I know what next steps to take. Like I figured it out. So like you can do with like that sort of rubber ducking, or like I could obviously pick up the phone and call you and be like, Mo, what's going on? Um, and then talking through that way might be better. And you'll be like, have you alphabetized your CSS properties? And I'm like, oh, I forgot. And then you know, bug is solved. Everyone's happy. But, um, yeah, so that's debugging. So then what happens when you've debugged your code, you've solved the problem, and then what do you do next? You push it up into production, baby. <laughs> but before that... Well, you make sure all the tests are passing. You make sure all the tests are passing, and then you have to create a PR. That's right. And we've talked about PRs before on this podcast a few times, so it's not public relations. It's not, it's not poodle revolution. Poodle revolution. It's pull requests. Which yeah, that's yeah, a pull that's request. Correct. Which I also feel like is not a great explanation for what yeah. uh, it actually is. It's like, oh yeah, pull requests. Well what is a pull request? Yeah, it fully doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you anything. So when we talk about pull requests, you're probably going to be confused. But basically, it's a formal review process to get feedback from your team members and then approval on the code changes that you've made. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up as a uh, pragmatic skill is because my general rule always, always for pull requests is... How can I make it as easy as possible for the other person to review my code? Because code is really hard to read if you don't have context on it and if you've never written it. And, you know, especially because it's a lot easier when you're in the mindset of that problem 
and then I'm saying, hey, Stacy, I solved this bug. Can you look at it? And then she's like, I don't get this. Mm, what? I've never seen this before. Exactly. So having different ways to give her as much information as possible so she can have, again, the confidence in the changes that I made in the bug that I fixed. Because sometimes there's a, a fix, but maybe it's not the right way. Or maybe it is, but there's improvements that can be made so there's there's a lot of back and forth and we did talk about this with Roth in our imposter syndrome talk about like PRs like having really small PRs which I think is you know kind of the first step of like if you have 10 files if there's any more than that that's a big PR you know sometimes you can't help it but it's a lot easier for the other person um but I think even before that it's giving as much context as possible in that like draft page. Now we use GitHub, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if you use like GitLab or Bitbucket or something, there's some type of draft page or, it's, it's or all the same, really. it's all the same. Yeah. Like a write up, uh, just to give context and I'll literally write out. I made this change because of this. I made this change because of this in this file. This is why. Sometimes I'll even give like a business reason. Uh, I fixed this bug because client A requested this thing and it's an edge case and, uh, you know, whatever. There's giving, so giving as much context as possible. And that's for the other person. Um, and sometimes I find the other person might not even read that context. Um, I found they're like, I don't really understand why that this works. And I'm like, well, read the thing. <laughs> um, but it's for the other person. But then it's for you later. Because yeah. half the time, you know, you, you ship out a piece of code and you're like, a year later, you find the bug. And you find the bug is in your old PR. And then you're like, what was this change even about? And then you have all those notes and you're like, oh, that's why I made this decision. So uh, it, it's twofold. One for you, the other for the person reviewing or people. So an additional um, adding context is like having screenshots of like before and after or like a video. I've, I've been doing now videos of like walking through the UI changes, walking through some of the code that I've written, giving some explanations on like the flow that I expect. Um, and then... Uh, I'll have like steps to reproduce as well or like steps to test and that really is dependent on like if it's a bug or if it's like a feature change so if it's a feature change I would just be like okay here you you go pardon me <laughs> uh, if it's a feature change I would say okay you go to this page, you would click on this button, you would navigate to here, this is what you should see, this is why. Um, if it's a bug, I might say, you know, this is what you have to do to reproduce the bug. This is what you have to do to see that the bug is fixed. And kind of having that like before and after um, makes it so much easier. And then like another thing would be like, do you have like login credentials or something like that? So like, for instance, um, there might be a bug which requires it's only in like German speaking 
businesses or something. And then I'd say, okay, well, you need this German speaking login to get into a test demo business here. I login. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's easiest to, instead of getting the person to review, you give them the credentials right there. And then they're like, oh, it's so much easier for me to, to review the PR now, now that I know that I have it all here instead of having to go look for the credentials, stuff like that. Yeah, so figure it out yourself. and Exactly. Because that's just like, no one wants to go spend 10 minutes looking for credentials than to spend another 10 minutes to test the the code and that kind of thing. Yeah, all to approve your PR, you know? Exactly. And like one thing that I've realized, even though it's not always the best mindset to be in, but like people don't really care about your PR as much as they care about their own PR Yeah. because they want to make sure their stuff gets out and they want to make sure that, you know, they're going as fast as possible. So if you make it as easy for them, then they're just going to, they're going to be able to do their job well because they're not putting as much time and effort into your own thing, you know? Yeah. They can make time to care about it. Exactly. Exactly. So, and some other just small things, which would be like having a really clean Git history. Now this is really, I, I've even found like team specific and like, project specific where like in a lot of our front-end projects we try to tell a story with our commits where you know our story would be like okay so we've uploaded this file and then we've created a new route and now we've created this component we're integrating it in this in this page and you know it's very you know step by step this is what we do and you can kind of break down each commit in your review compared to some people who are like, this is my one big commit. Push. I do a lot of little commits, um, but they're like nonsensy. <laughs> Fixed test. Yeah, it would be like, damn it, forgot to push this up. <laughs> Shit, there was an error. I misspelled something. <laughs> I love that. The, I mean... So if you read through mine, it's like the ramblings of a crazed woman. <laughs> In fairness, I've I've reviewed a few of your PRs. There's lots of jokes, you know, yeah. scattered across, which I really appreciate. So yeah, maybe like I try to make my PRs like enticing. Like you'll get a bit of comedy if you come in, you know, try to review this bad boy. Exactly. I like it. Because <laughs> any any way to make it a little more interesting, you know? Yeah. Get those people invested in fixing your PR. You know what I mean? They're like, yes, okay, good. We Stacy has a PR up again. Yeah. <laughs> I need my daily dose yeah. of laughter. A little bit of memes in there. Yeah, I do. I do like to have a good meme here, here, there. So, I think the key is context. And back to that, even is like, if you have code that you're a little unsure about, or you want to justify writing comments in the code before anyone gets there and you're like hey this is why I did this thing does anybody have questions about this would you have any thoughts on a better way to solve that um sometimes you don't want to do that because you're like I just want to get it through but even sometimes the justification for it's like I did this because of x y and z then people are usually like makes sense (laughs) that's what I found but you do want people to question 
uh, your, your reasonings for things and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. just being open to that as well, I, I think in the PR process, but once, if you do have that open dialogue, which is what we talked about with Roth and people thoroughly test your code and look at your code and then they have confidence in approving. It's not just a looks good to me, thumbs up, rocket ship, rocket ship. It's like, yeah, I have so much, you know, confidence in what's going out, what's being shipped and you know, the code is in a better place because this is being released other than the fact that you're adding more code to the, the code base, but uh, still it's not worse than it was before, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's why I, I think that good uh, PR health and, and good communication within your PRs is key to pragmatism. Very good. Very pragmatic approach. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Very rigid. <clears throat> Give context. Give context. That's all it is. That's all it takes. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> We're burping wow. a lot on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've just come here to burp. Um, Fizz. Buzz. I can't make a fake burp. You know how like some uh, people can actually burp fake IQ. burp? Yeah, no. Anyways. <sighs> then there's... Sorry. And young burping, yawning. That'll be edited out for sure. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not though. Who knows what I get up to? Um, So, my final topic in the Pragmatic Programmer's Guidebook here is how to deal, I suppose, with tech debt. And you're like, what is tech debt? The billions of dollars the tech industry is in debt? Kinda. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it has to deal with a law of physics called entropy, which is the amount of disorder that a particular system has. So there's like going to be a certain amount of disorder in whatever universe. Well, that same law can be applied to software, and you can have a certain amount of disorder in your, you know, entire... Code base? Code base, yeah. And so that is often called things like tech debt, or my favorite, software rot. Which is first time I've ever heard of this software rot term. Yeah. I think it just sounds so like, I don't know, like swamp core i don't know i think of a tree a rotting tree something rotting so what contributes to software rot how do you get all this tech debt in and you know bad entropy in your system right so part of it is the psychology or culture inside the project or company that you're working in um and it can be described as the broken window theory (laughs) So, uh, side note, um, in 1969, a guy called Philip Zimbardo, who was a psychologist from Stanford University, he did a study where he left an abandoned car in a neighborhood in New York City, and in about 10 minutes, people began vandalizing the car, they stripped it for parts, windows were smashed, and ultimately the car was completely destroyed by the end of the day. 
He did the same study, but in a very affluent community in Palo Alto. And the car was actually untouched for weeks until he smashed a window in the car. And then within that same day, it was dismantled for parts, set on fire, you know, completely destroyed by the end of the day. So this theory is that even if you have nice code in a nice place, one bad window can lead to its demise. Um, and so when you have a broken window or like a bad coding pattern, if it's left unrepaired, it can lead to a sense of abandonment within the project. And so, you know, more windows get broken, more bad code gets written. There's littering, graffiti, you know, and this hopelessness that surrounds the project ends up being contagious. So the whole team will start to feel like, oh, no one cares about this project. I don't have to care either. And so this is like for when you're working in a team, a broken window can be anything from, like I said, bad design, bad patterns, wrong decisions that were made, or just, you know, you know, yeah, I guess that's really most of what broken windows are. But um, the idea is just don't follow those patterns. If you see them and you know it's a broken window, it doesn't mean you should also make another broken window. Um, so... One of the ways you can deal with tech debt is to put in that effort, that like, you know, extra, you know, care into what you're typing because, you know, other people will see that, know that it matters and know that if you don't do it, you'll end up with just a really shitty project. So yeah, have you ever experienced a broken window or the... You know, is that kind of scenario always straightforward? Like, how do you know it's a broken window? Well, I think that, um, as we've discussed already, when we spot a bug, making sure to raise those bugs right away. And if we can, fix them. And ensuring from the time that we create our, our branch that we're in the mindset of making sure that we're um, leaving the project or making the project better than when we found it. I think that's always the mindset, especially when dealing with tech debt that I like to have. Um, but there's broken windows everywhere. So it's just finding ways pragmatically to, <laughs> um, to, to address it and fix it all the time. And there's different solutions to that. One of which is alphabetically <laughs> uh, ordering CSS uh, styles, which is Stacey's yeah. least favorite thing. It's one of the hills I'll die on. Like, you're not going to change my opinion on this. But, you know, I, I, can, I can see your points. I'm not saying they're bad points, but... And there's different things as well. And I think, as we said in the beginning tackling tech debt and and what in, is important tech debt to tackle it's really based on the values of the team and the engineers and the project specifically at hand so being really critical when you're when you're looking at it and weighing up the pros and cons i think is really important yeah communicating the big problems so 
on that note, I have a listener challenge. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, I challenge you. Of can you think of three broken windows in your own code or your company's code that could be fixed? Like you know, could you dry up some code? Like you know, don't repeat yourself patterns. Could you um, refactor some things that are you know horrible million line functions or something like that? Like what could be fixed? So I challenge you, think of three of them and bring them up to your team so that, you know, that culture of hopelessness uh, doesn't stick around and we all have better code and working environments. I agree. I agree. And I think as well, like, it takes courage to bring these things up, especially if that's not uh, a natural part of the culture or community that your team has. Or if you don't has. feel confident that it's a broken enough window. Exactly. But like any window, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if it's a crack in the window, fix the crack because the, the yeah. crack can get bigger over time. So and if you, you don't can spot want something your, early. You don't want your car to be destroyed and it'll happen quicker than you think. Exactly. So I think that if you use some of our tips today, if you continue to do research on more ways to tackle tech debt, to write better code to j- just be always constantly learning about how mm. to to make it better. Yeah, we invite you to be curious about what's going to work best for you. Exactly. And you'll learn as well that, you know, maybe some of the things we said work works well at one stage, but in another stage might not. So finding what's best for you and your team and yeah, you may never write a test first again. You might just launch that rocket right into space, and that's okay. That's okay, as long as uh, I don't know if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I don't want to promote bad engineering practices. <laughs> but hey, if you got money for extra rockets, go for it. If you're an Elon Musk believer, then sure, go on. <laughs> go that's on. the worst that could happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I think that's it for me. I think that's everything. We've covered it all. So be pragmatic. Yep. Be a pragmatic programmer and check out the book, The Pragmatic Programmer, a book by Andy Hunt and Dave Thomas, where we took some of our ideas for this topic from. So yeah, read that too. Yeah, the more the more you read, the more knowledge you you take. I I think the easier it is to apply and come up come up with new ideas. So yeah, the more the more podcasts you listen to, <laughs> the better. Especially if they're Fizz Buzz Podcast. Okay, follow us on social medias if you want at Fizz Buzz Podcast, and we'll see you next time. That's a wrap. Don't be a dick and make Make money, money. honey.